everybody does presentations, right? You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health. From the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily represent any of the agencies or organizations we work for or are affiliated with. My name is Gordon, your host for this episode, along with the one and only champ, co-host, LaShawn Benedict. Why do presentations in the first place? Is there a certain goal of a presentation, a certain situation or context why they're used? Some people are absolutely terrified of doing presentations, mortified. Some people go up there with notes. You know, what, why are we doing this in the first place? How can we state the importance of these presentations? Weren't you a bit scared doing presentations before your MPH? Public speaking in general, hated it. And now you're on radio, television, Because you you go up there, your hands start shaking, right? Okay. So that's actually why I stopped having notes, right? Because there's nothing more distracting than a presenter who's nervous, who also has notes in their hand, and it's shaking and making like an audible noise in Mm. the room, which is like... Like the papers flapping around, <laughs> so uh, that's the reason I stopped using the paper just because it was a distraction. And then I figured it out eventually. Well, the the moral of the story is anyone can get really good at presenting, like Gordon, like Lashawn. Okay, so let's talk about that. So okay. situations where presentations happen: so work, school, grad school, your project work. Mm. If you're into advocacy, you're making a pitch to your boss or your team. These are instances where you need to provide information to a bunch of people, or it could be a one-person thing, Mm -hmm. but you're providing information. What that information is, it could be anything, right? right? But you're using your voice, you're projecting yourself, you may or may not be using slides to assist you in relaying this information, but you as a person is projecting information to other people so that they can have a change in state and gain more information, Mm. or maybe your purpose is to persuade someone. Right. See, I like how you ended that, because that often gets lost in terms of the goal is not to deliver a presentation. The goal is a result of doing a presentation. Mm -hmm. So people look at it as, oh, something that I just need to check off the list. I've done the presentation. But to me, there's no other way to do it than trying to do an effective presentation. And if you haven't effectively communicated your idea, then you've missed your mark. So yes, you have to check it off the list, whether it's your boss that tells you to do it or you just have to do it as part of your group project, but focus more on the purpose of it than the actual presentation being the outcome. Yeah. So let's get into that. How does that look? How can we start an effective presentation? One of the things I like to start with is the information gathering piece. So what does that mean? Yeah, like, so you, hey, you do a presentation on what who am i speaking to and what is the topic and what sort of things do i need to include to communicate the idea that i'm trying to present okay so 
One of the things you said there is essentially knowing your audience. Why is that so important here? Because knowing your audience is fundamental, central, oh. hmm. paramount to doing an effective presentation. Why? And the reason it is yeah. is because if you are responsible or work in a very complex domain mm -hmm. where you're used to communicating with your colleagues and professionals who speak the same language, then there's less considerations on your end on, in terms of who the audience is. Mm -hmm. However, you, as part of your work, you develop a very effective intervention and you're looking to bring it to uh, a different level of government for, you know, to advocate for that idea to become a policy. And the general politician may not want to hear about p-values and statistical effectiveness and statistical differences and t-tests and representative samples but they might want to hear how their constituents will receive the idea they might want to hear about how much money it will save how many lives it will save and potentially get them re-elected so spinning things in that perspective targeting the audience providing them with the right information so what you're saying is, Gordon, meeting people where they're at for their informational needs and That's understanding right. how people perceive information, their prior knowledge on that specific topic that you'll be presenting on. Yeah, and it doesn't end with the audience in that, oh, it's a mayor. Mm -hmm. It's what does that mayor believe in? Mm -hmm. So it's understanding going... Understanding their beliefs. Right, so understanding have they been opposed to a similar idea in the past? How right. was that idea presented? Can I present it a different way? Those are some of the questions that you're asking. It could be your boss. You might have approached your boss with a specific idea before it got shut down. You might not want to present it the same way. You might want to understand your boss's motivations, some of the things that they're looking for from a strategic perspective, and then framing it in a way that they can pull that information out. Right. And related to that, we know that in order to help you achieve those goals, the topic should be clear, mm -hmm. concise, and engaging. But where does evidence-informed information and presentations come into the mix? Do you have to have evidence for everything you're saying in presentations, like you mentioned, p-value, stats, all that mm -hmm. stuff? Is it a case-by-case -case basis? Yeah, I mean... And, and especially kind of talk about that in the public health setting. Yeah, and... It in a lot of different contexts, it should be at least evidence-informed if you're presenting a recommendation to be taken into account for action. How you present that, like you touched on, is the important part, right, LaShawn? So what evidence shows that, research shows that, large studies have shown that this is the case, and this was proven to be successful in a similar city of a similar size, that's probably how you can approach the plain language part of communicating with others in your presentation from an evidence-informed perspective, but it's absolutely important to do so. The persuasive argument is also important, and that might include not only the quantitative piece, but also the qualitative piece as well. And incorporating that into the storytelling of your presentation is important for sure. Right, and going back to just in terms of making your presentation clear, concise, and engaging, 
the use of simple language is often utilized to make sure that everyone's on the same page and is able to understand what you're saying. We often fall in these little isolated pods. And forgive me, I just watched Love is Blind. <laughs> so where we just use language, specific technical terms and jargon, like spatial epidemiology, for example. Mm. And we just think that's the norm and everyone knows what we're right. talking about. But being able to see where others are coming from and mm -hmm. the backgrounds that they have and being able to use more accessible language that will help them understand your presentations through its course. Right. And people might say, yeah, 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 I get it, information, topic, yes, it's something I regularly do. But one thing that you could most definitely improve on mm -hmm. is now that you have a topic and you've decided or it's been asked of you to have a slide deck, what does that slide deck look like? So, LaShawn, where do people start with this? Do we just go into uh, Microsoft PowerPoint and just pull a template and then go for it? Like, what? what's the best place to start? Yeah, I think the best place to start is, first of all, answering these questions we asked in the information gathering stage. What's our goal of this presentation? What kinds of information do we want to make sure we include? Who are the stakeholders that are involved? Because that's going to really determine the detail and different topics that you're going to cover in your presentation. So what I like doing is, in my mind or on a piece of paper or on a Excel or Word document rather, kind of brainstorm how your layout is going to be for that presentation. So you're before really, you even get to visuals? Before you get into visuals. In my opinion, this is what I do, right? List out all the different logical transitions between how you're going to present this information. Okay, so are we going to start off very broad and then get a bit more specific as the slides go through? Maybe there are cases where you don't want to start off very broad. You just want to get into it. And the information gathering stage helps you determine what that's going to look like. The reason I like laying it all out there and brainstorming this, how the slides are going to look, what types of information to include in the slides, is it helps with logic and flow. You don't want to jump the gun when you're doing presentations and have a knowledge gap leap, which will confuse the audience. So you want to make sure you're really taking them throughout this journey, throughout this presentation, where they're following what you're trying to say, where you're able to persuade them and convince them and provide that information you need for them to make the change you seek through this presentation. So once you kind of have that in mind, and again, that brainstorming stage also includes doing your research on the different topics and the specific subtopics within the presentation that you're going to deliver. And then I would start thinking about aesthetically how my slides are going to look and how I'm going to lay out certain bits of information. That's when you get into more of your visual aids. You're talking about your agenda slide. Again, with the caveat that you don't want to overload your presentation with a bunch of memes, reels, graphics, visuals, because that could be distracting as well. And you also have to have a pulse with the people that you're going to engage with. I'm not sure if it's the best idea if you're presenting in front of an executive team to pull out funny reels that, you've, that you found. Maybe you would. Maybe it would lighten the mood. But you just have to have these considerations. Mm -hmm. Similarly, not overloading your slides with visual aids, not overloading your slides with text. And that yeah. can get quite overwhelming 
for an audience and quite crowded. Even if you plan to say more things that are on a slide, it, pulling out those key ideas is critically important for people to know what you want them to take from a specific slide. Now, the slide design. I know you, you spend a lot of time educating yourself about things like that with the layouts, different kind of colors. Color science. Color yeah. science. Any kind of insider tips on how people might go about making those decisions for their slide yeah. deck? I think it's time we start thinking about making slides in a different way. Mm. Traditionally, we use Microsoft PowerPoint, and you know they have their they have their benefits to be using that. But now, with more accessible free software becoming available, things like Canva opens up as another competitor where you can use different transitions, different graphics, and create a different style of presentation. So you just want to avail yourself to these other opportunities that are available in the market to present information, whether it's Canva. Maybe you could have a video alongside that's going through your presentation while you're speaking to highlight certain points. But again, at the end of the day, you want to make sure this is used as an aid to your presentation, an aid. You don't want it to be distracting. You want it to help get points across. So when you're thinking about the different colors, you don't want clashing colors. When you're thinking about fonts, are you using IOTA compliant text so people can actually read what's on the slides? The spacing of the text and slides, are the pictures big enough? You have to all think of that. The worst thing in any presentation that I see is, oh, sorry, I think the, the font is too small. Um, sorry about that. And people always mentioning that. But before that even comes to be an issue, why don't you put some time in to think about what works best in these presentations? Agreed. And then part of that too, LaShawn, is just an appreciation of the space. So for example, if you're doing a presentation virtually, it's going to be on a smaller screen, mm -hmm. right? And then if you're doing presentation in person on a projector, it's on a bigger screen, but also how big is that room? And the, the person sitting furthest back, how are they going to be able to see it? So take into account those things. But I wanted to ask you specifically, LaShawn, are there certain colors we should be avoiding? Because for me, one of the things that I think is important is that the look of the presentation matches the content. So the feel of the slides, if it's a lighter topic, could look lighter. But if there's a mismatch between the visuals of the presentation and the, the gravity of the topic, it kind of confuses the audience a little bit, I find it being on the other side of things too. And I don't know if you have any insights on how people can approach that. So my general recommendation would be if you're presenting at an organization, they usually have slides available and templates available mm. that you should follow in terms of color guidance. A lot of the times it's mandatory to use those requirements and schemes that are in their branding guidelines. So I encourage you all to follow that. Even if it might be boring to you, that's just how it works and they want to maintain their brand identity. So that's important to follow. In terms of actual colors to use, you want to just make sure things look consistent and they're not distracting, like I mentioned, right? And often you see just very clashing colors like bright yellow, neon, pink, neon, green, and they hurt my eyes when I look at that. And that's, again, that's a personal preference as well. But you want to make sure that 
you can look at the slides, you know, at its core. You want to make sure you can look at your slides without closing your eyes. What about something as basic as page numbers or slide numbers or an indication or progress tool or bar on your slides that shows when the presentation is moving through? Yeah. Is that, is that something that adds value, you think? Yeah, I'm a fan of it, like especially if it's a longer presentation, making sure you have your agenda, table of contents, having page numbers, because it helps the audience refer back to, hey, on slide five, I heard you mention this about epidemiology, and I had a question, blah, 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 blah. So it helps act as an anchor reference point, which is great to have. Progress bars I've been seeing more used nowadays. And again, it's helpful for me as an audience member to see how long this presentation is going to take and like, am I halfway through, quarter way through, and it allows me to focus my attention better almost. It's sort of a, hey, I need your attention for 20 minutes. Yeah. But when it's, you don't know and you've exerted all your mental energy and oh, we're only halfway through, you get audience disengagement. But I didn't, I actually didn't think about that reason that you mentioned about practically someone has numbers on their slides it's mm-hmm. easy to refer back to because i've been in presentations where it's oh can you go back to oh no no not that one yeah. the, keep and then you could just simply say slide 11 because the person would have made a note when they wrote that down so yeah. that's a very practical reason yeah one of the things that i do want to say while we're talking about the actual presentation and slide decks and i often see this happen is being prepared for technical difficulties. And how many times has this happened to us, Gordon, where we have a presentation lined up, we think we could pull it up through our email, Mm. and then the email client that we use is blocked when we're giving presentations in schools? What's Mm. the point of preparing? Yeah, exactly that. There's nothing worse than being ready. And then your slide that you work so hard on, that's central to your delivery of the content and engagement with the audience is not working and then you spend the whole time apologizing to the audience so we usually have a plan a b and c so your thumb your um usb stick usb stick thumb drive i think they call it too you can have that you can have uh, have it linked to your Google Drive somehow. You can email bring it to your, yourself. Bring your own personal computer. Bring your own computer. Email the person who invited yeah. you to speak to, so that they have a copy. There's a couple different ways you might want to ensure that you have a fail-safe approach yeah. to and making it, sure you it, can present. It comes off as you're very confident and you're calm and collected if you have that background yeah, instead of panicking, then, right? Yeah, you Huge panic difference. and then it just goes yeah. DT. <laughs> DT. <laughs> DT. So I will say this, okay? I've been a victim of this, you know, at times before you spend your whole time making the best slide deck ever and you feel like you can rest on your laurels and the work is done. You just show up ready. Presentation's going to go great. Tell me why that's not the case. It's not the case because the actual delivery aspect is also important. Oh, We already mentioned this, but being able to keep your presentation concise and to the point, avoid distractions and going off tangents and getting really bogged down in these unnecessary details like, hey, my dog's name is Theo. Maybe that's cute for a starting slide. I know Gordon uses that, so shout out to him. It's effective. But also, just like practicing your delivery. Like, do you think it's all going to come together 
during a 30 or one hour presentation where you're going to seamlessly talk about this topic that you created slides for. Sometimes you need to talk it out and be able to create these transitions in your head to be able to go slide to slide. It helps quite a lot. And what Gordon always talks about is being able to practice, record yourself, practice in front of a mirror, ask a friend, ask a colleague, being able to get feedback on your presentation goes a long way. And are you mad at me for talking about your dog? (laughs) No, I'm not. We'll take it off camera. We'll take okay. it camera. <laughs> I will say, and we talk about this a lot, and I think we've both grown ourselves in, in this area so we can appreciate people, where they're coming from, their development. But you need to be enthusiastic about what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, It's absolutely. If you're annoyed or bored of what you're talking about or not interested in what you're talking about or you have to, it's an active process where you have to emit, showcase your enthusiasm for a topic to be able to capture the audience. And I've been a part of a lot of dry presentations where I can't get engaged because you yourself as a presenter don't seem like you're interested yeah. in the topic. So it's important to rehearse, not only rehearse in the sense of, okay, I can do this in 30 minutes, but how am I going to deliver this slide? What are the punchlines that I'm going to use? Is there any other things that I'll use to emphasize a specific point? And just being, you know, smiling, smiling if, if appropriate, and having a very active tone of voice too. Yeah, that's really important. How are you supposed to be excited as an audience member if the presenter is not excited? Like, it seems like a chore to them. I can't, I can't mm, get excited chore. for that, right? Mm. But that really speaks to the point about being engaging. And one of the things that we always like using is starting off with a hook, being able to grab an audience member's attention right from the get-go. And it really brings them along that journey. You just need to make sure you keep that attention. And this could be a surprising fact, a very thought-provoking statement or quote, or even a compelling story that people can identify with. Really helpful tools. Mm -hmm. So, LaShawn, being confident, being enthusiastic mm-hmm. is a key part of delivering the presentation. Yeah. And getting your point across, getting across the main idea. That is part of what makes a successful presentation. Where does audience engagement fit within that presentation? Is it always important to do? Yeah. When is it done? What does that look like? This is another thing that needs to be done in that information gathering stage. Mm. You need to also think about that goal that we're talking about. Is your goal to excite and inform your audience members about a certain topic? Well, it would bode well for you to keep them engaged. And how can you do this? Ask questions. Engage in, you know, thought-provoking discussions. Use interactive tools such as polls and quizzes. And as appropriate, you could use funny memes or references that get people excited and more able to relate to you as a presenter. That helps quite a bit. That's why Gordon and I always stress the use of storytelling. Can you get a bit more into that, Gordon? Storytelling is something, some people are born with it, some people are gifted, it comes naturally to them, and storytelling is something otherwise that you have to work on. Yeah. And what we really mean by that is, If you are telling 
if, if you're presenting information on specific data that you found from any research, for example, it's important that a storytelling piece is tied to that. So what story led to the collection of the data and or what story is the data telling or the information that you're presenting telling? And that keeps the audience engaged in terms of they want to know how the story ends. Mm -hmm. If you're watching a good movie and it ends or the power goes out three quarters through or something happens, you're going to go, ah, darn. Mm -hmm. You really want to know how the story ends. So why not deliver your presentation in the form of a story and capturing the audience's attention that way and this is the part where you can make your advanced information collecting go to the next level yeah. about getting the information you need and then now thinking about how is the best way to present this to take my audience on a knowledge growth journey from the point you start the clicker to the point where you're asking them to, to share any questions that they have. That's very, very important. Part of that storytelling piece is the openness to take risks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You might be in a position where you even put yourself out there a bit and have a little vulnerable moment to share and better connect with individuals. Obviously not necessary, but to do these kind of different things like storytelling or engaging your audience, you want to be able to be a little open and take mm-hmm. a little risk, right? Yeah. And then you know, if it goes well, that builds your confidence for the next presentation and the next one. And then you develop that competence and charisma and enthusiasm and passion and energy for doing stage presence, the stage presence. Have you ever walked into the room where you have this big shot guest speaker and you're just dying to hear what they say? They have that stage presence. Hook you on every word. Yeah. Take you on a ride on each word, right? every pause, you know, mm. every inflection in their voice. And it's very, very fun to join that journey and listen to. Yeah, I I remember one presentation that we were in the audience for it while we were doing our MPH. And it yeah. was around the housing crisis. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that one. And I felt that the speaker was very, she told the story about why there is a housing crisis. Yeah. And she started off the presentation by essentially saying, I'm going to tell you the story about how we got to this point. Yeah. By just saying those words, you know you want to be engaged all the way to the end because you're going to be hearing a story, not just a random presentations of facts and ideas. Exactly. Yeah. And so with these kind of engaging strategies, there's always one that sticks out to me, Mm. the use of humor as appropriate. And I know, depending on the circumstance and situation that we're Mm. called to be guest speakers for, Gordon and I really like using that in university lecture settings and school settings where, you know, audience members are, you know, it's, 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 it is a formal setting, but it's also there's kind of that relationship building with students that are in the program. And Mm. one of the things that Gordon and I like are just talking about our past experiences and failures and funny moments that happened when we were doing a program like an MPH and our funny stories that we had with our directors. And it really allows for that moment of, you know, everyone's just human. And, you know, there are these lighter moments of fun that can happen even in a serious academic program, right? Mm -hmm. So stories like forgetting to submit assignments or submitting the wrong thing. 
Exactly. Right? Yeah. And it's re- it builds relatability with the audience as well, and that they're invested in the information that you're sharing. Yeah, and like one of the things we used to do a lot of these online at Public Health Insight, we used to do a lot of these online webinars, and mm. one of them was about grad school applications. I was sharing one of my experiences on submitting an application for an MPH program, and I was telling the audience like. Don't do what I did. I actually put the wrong name of the program in my application and don't pull a LaShawn. Don't do that ever. All that to say, I did get accepted into that same program and I went through the program, but it's a very human moment. Like mistakes happen, right? And people can relate and, and identify with that. And right after that webinar, I got like 10 emails about that statement that I made and, you know, people just really vibing with that. So it became a bit of a meme. Exactly. Right. Don't pull a LaShawn. Right. Do not pull a LaShawn. Right. And the last thing I want to say on that LaShawn is the active listening piece, mm-hmm. because if you're engaging with the audience, someone shares a good idea or thought and it's, oh, OK, thanks. And then yeah. you, you have to show an ability to weave in their responses to your presentation, connect it to ideas from other people in the audience so that everybody feels like they're a part of the presentation. And that's a an important skill that you have to really listen and unpack what someone is saying in terms of their question or feedback or knowledge that they're sharing and then somehow validate that they ask the question because you have to create a safe space Mm -hmm. for interaction too. Yeah. And that reminds me of a story as well. I remember being a part of this panel and an audience member asked a question, really well-intentioned question, just to gain more information about the topic. And the speaker that responded was very dismissive and rude to the audience member. And, you know, being able to create that safe space for discussion and being able to, you know, acknowledge that that's a great question and these are my responses to it in a very professional way is important. So being able to respond to questions in general is very important. I would say if you don't know the answer to a question, it's okay to mention that and follow up with them after and let them know that you'll follow up via email or let them know it's okay. We don't know the answers to everything. And the worst thing is if you try to pretend that you know more than you actually know and people just know you're not correct, it's just really awkward and it's not the way to go. Indeed. And now for the moment you've all been waiting for. We went from the beginning, before the beginning, the middle, and then we're coming towards the end of the presentation. How do we end things off on a positive, amazing note? Key takeaways and summaries. So, Mm. we know, as audience members, we can't remember everything. Our attention is not always there. I'm Come on, texting. 50 slides, you don't think I'll remember No, no, no. I'm texting on the side, possibly, going on mm. the internet on my laptop. These things happen. Even though you're not supposed to, it happens. Mm. Let's be real here. So that's why you as a presenter should understand that you're not necessarily going to have every single person's attention throughout the whole presentation, as ideal as we might want that to sound. However, that's where these key takeaways and summary points really come into play gordon and i love saying at our end of the presentation if you didn't learn anything up until this point or you weren't listening up until this point listen now basically to show this is where important information is going to be portrayed 
So end your presentation with clear call to action. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think it's a last ditch attempt to re-engage, right, LaShawn? Mm -hmm. Like people realistically will be engaged and disengaged. Concentration spans are varied. And that's another point in the presentation where you can reestablish that stage presence and say, hey, for the next two minutes, as I bring this to an end, these are the three things I want you to remember from this talk. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find a lot of times is that sparks further conversations with, oh, you, that's when you start to get questions like this, Ashan. Oh, sorry, I might have missed this. Yeah. But can because you, you just talked about an interesting point in your clothes that I wasn't paying attention to. Yeah. Now I'm interested in again. Yeah. And now I've asked you to go back to that point. So that's another mm -hmm. good technique to yeah. bring things to an end. And this is also a good place to close out that story that you called out to at the very beginning, right? So how do you close right. that in an effective way and close that off to kind of close off the performance? That's right. So don't forget that you started a story. You need to figure <laughs> out how to end it. There's nothing worse than, like I said, a movie, it's going very well. It gets cut off halfway or three quarters of the way through. And there's nothing worse than than a movie with like no ending at all or a bad ending. So it's important to end the story and wrap up those loose ends. Yeah. And then Gordon and I always love talking about this ending piece of getting better, continuous improvement. You know, there are some instances where we, when we're doing our lectures for different universities, we are able to send feedback survey to the audience members to get their thoughts on the presentations, how we can improve, which is great. It might be less appropriate in certain settings, of course. However, if you have a colleague, friend, manager, supervisor present at those presentations, please do ask for feedback. We could always get better at certain things. Maybe you're saying, um, 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 yeah, um, too much. Words. Yeah. Maybe you're saying that too much. You might not realize the filler kind words. Of, sort of. Exactly. You don't, you don't realize that till someone like, points like, it out. Like, 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 like. Gordon and I had the privilege of producing over 150 podcast episodes now, and we've been listening to our voices. We say, um, we say kind of, we say, uh, 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 blah, blah, right? So we're able to kind of see that because we, we're attuned to seeing how we're speaking and the types of inflections in our voices and the types of filler words we're using. It's not often that people re-listen to their own voice, right. right? So being able to get feedback is key. So Gordon, answer the question. Everyone does presentations, right? Everybody does presentations. And just like a good movie and just like a good podcast... And just like a good presentation, we have to come to an end. This is Gordon and LaShawn Benedict, your favorite public health professionals and public speakers, signing off. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.